0: All right, good morning. Good day to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So, a couple quick things before we get started. One of, the thing that, uh, one of the things that we always want to keep you updated on is where we're at financially for a couple different reasons. One, we always want you to know that if you have questions about money at Life Church or the finances of Life Church, again, we're open to talk about them and discuss them uh, in any way because we want to be open about those things. And so, we have third quarter giving that we want you guys to see. So, our budget giving into the general fund how much we are over budget and then over budget for the year and then even a bigger to me celebration inside of that is out, out, out. nine new people that have decided hey I'm good with the vision and mission of Life Church and I want to be a part of what's going on. So, a couple things. We just want to say thank you, you know, first of all for your generosity, for your believing in us and for an opportunity that that you guys have made possible that a lot of people, you know, see as they just can't believe that it's happening that a church would allow their building to be a community center all week long and that it would be able to be open to the public all week long. And so Thanks to you guys who make that possible because that's not an easy task to keep all of those things going and keep a building up like that. So we're thankful for your giving, thankful that you're a part of the mission and vision. And again, just continually looking forward to how God can use that money to equip you guys to continue to do the ministry into the world. All right, the other thing, 24-hour prayer, night of worship. So if you weren't at the night of worship, you missed out. It was awesome. So, Not of Worship was awesome. The next time we have it, you need to be a part of it, because it was really cool. Great to be a part of that 24-hour prayer, also, that went with that. And so, if you're able to be a part of the 24-hour prayer, uh, a great opportunity. And in that, um, back there on that board, as you walk out, there's some posters, and on that board is people's responses to what God said to them or talked to them during that time. And so, they wrote some things on those uh, uh, little white cards as you walk out. So, we just encourage you to look at them and, and, again, see what God's doing, pray for them, and maybe, you know, stir on some things as maybe even if you prayed at home, you looked at some of those same attributes of God or characteristics of God, and, and it meant something to you, so you can share along with those things. All right, so we're in a series, Spiritual Warfare, again, and for a lot of different reasons, we wanted to go down these roads, right, of being able to help people understand, again, this is the key, that there are things that are going on in an unseen world, right? So an unseen spiritual realm, that it's affecting what you see, or it's affecting what you do, right? And that there is a real enemy that's fighting a real battle. Now, here's what we said last week. We've got to establish some ground rules or establish some things that are really important. If you're gonna go into the whole spiritual warfare idea, we have to make sure that we understand what's going on so it all makes sense. So here's the first thing that we said last week, really important. What's the war over? You know, because sometimes people will look at it and they say, Well, Satan's trying to attack me, you know, and my health and my kids and the people around me. And I'm I said, Well, I'm not disagreeing with you, but for what reason? Right? Why would he attack you? Why would he declare war on your family? Why would he declare war on you? Like why would he do that? One reason and one reason only. The war is over the souls of mankind. And here's what he knows. He cannot take your salvation, but he can affect your effectiveness in this world. That's what he knows, right? And the only way to affect your effectiveness to be on mission is to get you distracted, right? The only way to get you away from those things is distract you away from the purpose of why you're still on this earth. Because remember this, right? If you lived in this world long enough, I've said this a hundred times, but I'm going to say it again. If you've lived in this world long enough, you know that it's difficult to be on mission living for Christ in a fallen world, right? You're seeing a lot of tragedy around you. I mean, it just seems like every week, you know, you see more and more things. It's just like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, right? Like, this isn't the way that it's supposed to work. Things aren't supposed to be going this way. You see more of that. So we know that if you have the hope of heaven, you know heaven's way better than this, right? You know why he doesn't take you home yet? Because he's not done with you. He has a mission. He's given you that mission. He's not done with you yet. When he is, he'll just take you home, right? Like when he's done, you can go home. You don't have to be a part of this anymore. But until that time, you're on mission and there is an enemy to try to get you off that mission because you're here for a short amount of time, right? Right? The other thing that we talked about last week, and you might have felt this on the way in, you know, but we, we talked about this. You know, one of the things that's happening in the unseen that affects the scene that we need to remember is the people that were in your car this morning on the way here aren't your enemy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you've ever had those, like, let's go! You're late, where are you at? Get ready, the kids are, you know. I always tell people the funniest thing is families get so mad right before church and then they come in like, good to see you." <laughs> is it not true? Like does not all of the conflict seem to happen right before you get here and then you come in and shake hands and like everything's okay, you know. But at the end of the day, we know this, this is what I said last week, and we know that this is important. God, So in the process of how Satan wants to, to derail your mission is he wants you to think that your enemy is flesh and blood. He wants you to think that your enemy is your wife, your enemy is your husband, your enemy is your children, your enemy is the people around you, because he knows this. If he can get you to think that your battle is between flesh and blood, he knows that it'll affect your spiritual battle, right? And here's how he knows this. I've never met one person in conflict with their husband, their wife, their kids, or other people that walked away and said, you know, in the midst of hating my wife, I felt so close to Jesus. (laughs) True? In the midst of being mad at my husband, being in the midst of wanting to strangle your children, right? Like nobody walked away being like, man, God, we're like on the same page here. Right? Like your spiritual relationship gets hindered when you're fighting the wrong enemy. So he says, as long as I can keep you fighting the wrong enemy and keep you distracted and think your enemy is flesh and blood, I'm winning. Because he knows that that relationship piece, right, that he wants more than anything is affected because you're too distracted on who the real enemy is. And we said this. And don't forget this. Maybe more important than even knowing that who the real enemy is, Satan has no authority in your life unless you give him permission. Right? I mean, that's what we said last week. The thing that we should be most excited about with, the, with Jesus Christ's death on the cross was not just the forgiveness of sins, but the authority over the ruler of this world, Satan. That keys were taken back, and not only were they taken back by Jesus, authority was given to you. And so if right now Satan has authority in your life, I want you to hear this. If Satan has authority in your life right now, it's because you're giving permission. Because Satan, you know, one of the most clearest things inside of Scripture is this. Call upon the name of Jesus, and Satan has to. Why can't we do that? And here's why. right? The reason we can't utter those things out of our mouth is because you've given permission for Satan to have authority over your marriage, and authority over your kids, and authority over your home, and authority, and we've just given it away right? Like we're just giving it away because Satan made us believe somehow through the lies that he has in our life that we have no authority and that all we have to do is just get through this life and just make it, you know, and just get to the end. That's not the way you're supposed to live this life. It isn't about just getting to the end. It's about living in victory. It's about living in authority. It's about being able to be used on mission by God because he gave us the authority to be able to do it. Does that make sense? Right. So that was last week, right? Make sure that we get that. Now, the funny thing is, is that you know I had this plan of what we'd be talking about this week, but I got to the end of the, this beginning of the week and I'm just like looking at the message and I'm not feeling it. it doesn't, you know? doesn't seem like this is where God wants me to go and halfway through the week or towards the end of the week, I'm like, that's it. That's, this is what we need to talk about because my biggest thing is, how is it that Satan's affecting people today? And Let's unveil it, let's uncover it, let's look at it and let's try to, to not allow him To deceive us into believing things that we shouldn't believe. And so the thing that I thought we should talk about today is the idea of how Satan uses pride in our lives, right, to allow us to fall into the places we should never fall into. And here's why I said it, or here's why I think that, you know, God was saying this to me that we need to talk about it. Because, you know, there is a fine line. Like, I'm a type of guy, like, I work with my hands and i love to build i'm somewhat of an entrepreneur so i mean i want to build and i want to be successful and i want to do and so like there's this i want to be excited about the things that i built and that are actually working anybody been down that road cuz you've done some things that don't work a couple of you like some of you've been like really excited and you built some things and they sucked Right? And you're like, oh my gosh, it didn't work. But isn't it cool when you can build some things or do some things and you get to the end of it? You're like, this is awesome. It actually worked. The business is actually not losing money, right? We're actually going down these roads. And there's this tendency, right, at that point to say, who gets the credit? Anybody? Right? Because you want to be like, look at what. I did, right? And I, I'm the same way. It's like, look at you, all your hard work and what you did. And look how, you know, it made it so that it could be. So you get in this fine line and, and, and you don't know what to do with it. And so you struggle with how to go forward with being excited of how God is using you in this world without falling into pride. Because here's what we know. Pride comes before the fall, right? So here's what we know about people. It's funny, because if you look at people, you know this inherently. Like, you see people that you're looking at, and you're like, they're falling. It's only a matter of time. Anybody, like, you could see it? And you want to go to them, and you're like, do you know that if you keep going down these roads, it's not going to be good? Or have you ever approached somebody and say, I just want you to be aware, like, this might be an issue in your life. And they'll be like, I can't see it. Anybody? You know why they can't see it? Because Satan has deceived them that pride in yourself and the things that you have done are awesome and no one's gonna take that away from you. No one. And somebody comes and tells you that and you're like, who are you to tell that? Like, who are you to say that in my life? Right? And so Satan knows that there's going to be the struggle, right, and that pride's gonna be an issue for all of us, right, and it's just different. Like all of us take, you know, are excited about different things in our life that we could like balance on the wrong side of understanding it, you know, like, here's what we know. Is it wrong to build a successful business and be excited about it? No, as long as you understand that why the business is successful and who made it successful, because here's the fine line. Because I've heard people say this, like their business is successful and they're, they're like, well, it's all because of God. Well, you know it's not all because of God. It's because of God made you in a certain way and you're using the uniqueness of how he made you to further the kingdom of God. And when you do those things, why wouldn't you be successful? Right? So you do have a part. God did uniquely design you and gave you gifts in a way to be able to build something that nobody else could do right? Like, you have a set of talents that you should look at, and you'd say, like, I'm so glad that God gave these to me, because I can build this business for the right reasons, to further the kingdom of God, because we live in, and we're going to see this here, I think, through this message, churches and people are more into empire building than kingdom building, right? Like, you're going to build the empire of your family, because, I mean, let's be honest, the world see success by the accumulation of your stuff, yeah, and your wealth, right? Like, people are going to look at you, and they're going to say, you're successful. Why? Well, look at all the farm ground you own, and look at all the machinery you have, or look at the business you build, or look at the house that they live in, right? Isn't this how people define it? Like, man, they've made it. Look what they drive. Everybody ever think that? Did you see what they're driving? Man, they must be making good money. They must be successful in what they do, Right? instead of having an $80,000 loan payment that nobody knows about. you know, But we do that, right? Like we look at people and we define whether or not their success is based upon the accumulation of stuff. So what do you think people focus on? Yeah, what do you think young people look at and say, if I wanna be successful, what do I have to do? Because they've watched their family do it. Work hard and accumulate stuff and then they have to work harder because now you have a bunch of crap that you gotta pay for. And so kids are like, man, I want to do the same thing. Like I, I saw like success and it's even getting worse because kids now what, want what you have before they're mature enough to handle it, right? Like young people want to be where you're at to handle what you're handling before they ever put in the time to be able to get there, right? And so they see that and they want to go after that. And so for us, we got to work down this road of we got to understand again where pride comes in. We have to understand what Satan's trying to do. We have to understand how he's going to try to attack each one of us and make sure that we understand this because here's the bottom line. So if you weren't listening, listen to this for a second. You're going to see there's a huge difference in the way that Jesus Christ, God our Father defines success in the way the world defines success. Because if you don't know it today, here's what I want you to know. You're gonna figure this out at some point. So I'm hoping today you can realize success, right? Think about this for a second. We already defined this. Success based upon the mission of God is reach, teach, and send. If he can build your business and your wealth and all those things so that you can reach, teach, and send, you're on mission, and when you stand in front of Jesus Christ, he can say you're successful because you used the things that I gave you to further the kingdom of God. But just so you understand, you could live inside of this world, and the world, the people could look at you and say, wow, success, and God's going to look at you and say, I don't even know who you are. Because success to you was what the world said success was, and you spent your whole life trying to build it. We know that, right? Rich young ruler, Lazarus right, like they were going after the things that the world said was important, then they stood in front of Jesus, and so they got to those places and they missed out. So my hope is, right, for everybody in this room, as we go down this road, that we will learn the fine line because I'm the type of person that's always going to be motivated to do more. I'm always going to be motivated to start new things. I'm always going to be motivated to, to keep pushing that limit of more, but I have to remember, don't get caught in the trap more for what reason, right? More for the reason of furthering the kingdom of God and being used by God, not more for the reason of success and so you can have more. Good? Okay, so here's how we're going to break it down today. So today we're going to look at first, in uh, First Peter, we're going to look at this idea of how Satan tries to attack people and the way that he works and some of the things that we can put in place. Then we're going to look at King David, right? And we're going to say, here's an example of a person that fell because of pride, Right? And so we're going to look at his life for an example of his life. And then we're going to go down to James and we're going to look at practical James. You know how he says, well, this is the way that it is. So he's going to say, you know what? If you're prideful, this is what's going to happen. Right? It's pretty straightforward. Like this is how God deals with prideful people. Okay, So if you have a Bible, turn to First Peter. That's so where we're going to be, again, First Peter 5, 8. Right? So again, remember this. Satan is trying to affect the will of your life right? Because God's will for you, we've already established this, God's will for you is reach, teach, and send, right? The will of God is the same in every person in this room. Yes? Yep. Same for every person in this room. The will of God is so you can reach people, teach people, and send people. Here's what Satan knows. You know how he can affect the will of your life or maybe in some determ- some uh, words that make sense to us, the actions of your life, right? Because Living out God's will is the actions of your life, the things that you do, right? You know how he affects it or how he knows he can affect it? Change the way that you think because the way you think will drive the actions of your life, right? Whatever's here or whatever happens up here will determine the actions or the things that you'll do. So Satan knows it's easy. If I can affect what's up here, Thoughts, the things that go into your head, I for sure can get you off track because as long as I can get in your mind, everything else follows suit. Right? He goes down that road. So in first Peter five, eight, Peter addresses this by saying this. First Peter five, eight, the first thing he says, be alert, right? So being alert is just what we're saying. You got an enemy. So you better not leave here without being on alert, knowing that there's somebody's trying to attack you. And then he says, and of what? Sober mind. Now, <laughs> for some of you who came from the world of like the drinking world, like you thought, sober mind? Yeah, I've had a sober mind for about a day. You know, like I don't have those things going on, right? That's the things that go through your head. When it says sober mind in scripture, it's talking about something completely different right? In there, it says, and I I wrote this down, you can write it down, but when you look at Scripture and it talks about a sober mind, here's what he says, you're in control of your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions, okay? So when he says a sober mind, you take control of your thoughts, control of your emotions, and control of your actions, and when your thoughts get out of control, your emotions get out of control, and the actions of your life get out of control. Does that make sense? So here's what Satan tries to do. And again, I think that you could probably relate with this. So he thinks that, again, we talked about this, if he can get into your mind, and so one of the ways he gets into your mind is through isolation. You know, you have a fight and you get isolated and then all of a sudden Satan can say things that he could never say in a group, right, or around certain people. So isolation, thoughts start to come in. And here's what he says. You know when the thoughts start to swirl, the things that he tries to get up, you know, get going. and What are we supposed to do with those things? Take control of them, Right. Don't let them happen. Control the input, right, and control the thoughts because if you don't, and some of you know this, right? And I'm gonna pick on women for a little bit. I hardly ever pick on women, but here you go. Here's what happens. When a woman's mind starts going 1,000 miles an hour with the wrong thoughts, so do their crazy emotions. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Their emotions, and we're sitting back, and I'm like, what the world is going on? You know, I have no idea what's happening. Those emotions are crazy, right? And you know what the first thing that happens is when their thoughts get swirled and their emotions get crazy, you know what a woman wants to do then? It's control it and bring it all back into to to make sense to them again. So it's just constant cycle. Thoughts, emotions, control. Thoughts, emotions, control. Like, I got to get this under control. My emotions are out of control. Anybody? Women, can you relate? Does that happen? Right, it happens, right? And I'm not saying it doesn't happen with guys, but maybe not as crazy, right? Maybe not as bad, right? Because it can get to that place where he says, you got to be able to do it. So here's what you got to think about. You better control your input, okay? So now I want to challenge you for a second. Your thoughts come because of the inputs of your life, okay? So young people, I want you to think about this for a second. Where are you getting your inputs from? You know, I want you to understand that there is a strategy of an enemy that's putting that's trying to get your attention. Because, again, I don't know that this is the case with all young people. But do you ever have this time where, like, there's nothing to do? What's the first thing that you usually do? Like, if you're sitting around, what's the first thing that usually happens? And I'm not just saying it's young people. If there's nothing going on and you're not doing something with your hands, what do you usually do? Right? I mean, isn't this case? And again, it's not always young people. It might be you too as older people. But you understand, because people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just mindless thinking. It's just mindless things. I'm just looking through it because I have nothing to do. Well, here's what I want you to understand. The people that designed social media designed it in a way to be able to control the way that you think. So you can say, oh, just mindless, just going through there looking at stupid crap. That might be true. But at some point, that device through those things are used to control the way that you think. Now, could it be good? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like, you could be looking at things that could be good. But if you're not gonna control your inputs, because I'll just give you a challenge, young people. So for one week, when you feel that urge, when you're not doing anything, put your phone down and find a different input pick up a book yeah maybe the bible they might not have one it's on their phone that's the problem right <laughs> like is it not true like they got to pick up their phone because they don't have a real bible it's always on their phone and I, and again i'm not pick up something other than your phone that will give you a good input Right, I don't know what it is. So again, I don't know what else is out there, but how about try something other than having the attention for a phone, pick that input. The same thing, if you're an adult, what inputs, because you already know this, I think you know this as adults, you already know what inputs change the way that you think and make you emotionally go crazy. Right? Do what? Men? Okay, then don't be around men. That's an easy solution, right? Like, you can change that. You don't have to be around them. That's the point, though, right? The point just is this whatever the input is, you need to change it. So, if you have a friend, right? If you have that friend that you're talking to that every time you get done with it, you want to jump off the edge of a cliff. Yes. Or you have that person that you talk to. You know what I mean? Like, you talk to these people and you get to the end of it and you're like, oh my gosh. My emotions and I'm stressed. I'm more stressed out now that I just read that text than I ever was before. Or I'm more stressed out now after that phone conversation than I ever was before. Well, maybe you need to eliminate some of those people in your life because to be sober minded, you have to control some of your inputs. Because if you don't start with the input, It's going to be difficult to control the thoughts, difficult to control the emotions. And if we don't do those things, you're giving into the reason why he said you better be of sober mind. You know why you should be of sober mind? Here's what it says. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for what? Put your name in it. Read it that way for once. Looking for you to devour. You know how he gets it done? When you're not of sober mind. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. Like the way that he gets it done, when your thinking is not right, Satan has a foothold in your life that he never had before, has an opportunity in your life that he never had before. So we have to know the reason to protect your input is not just to stay away from crazies. To not, just not be crazy, because if you don't control your input, if you don't control your thoughts, if you don't control your emotions, you're giving Satan a foothold, and here's what he's trying to do. Not just mess with you, devour and destroy you. Why is it important for us as parents to help our kids figure out their inputs? Because Satan is trying to destroy your family. Why is it important to process what our kids are taking in, what they're hearing, the things that are going on? Why is it important that the things that we're watching aren't trash or the things that we're reading aren't trash? Why? Because we should control our inputs because if you don't, Satan knows, if I can just get a little foothold, I get a chance. Because remember what we said, Satan has no authority unless you, you know how you give him authority? by giving him uncontrolled access to your your inputs. Right? That's how you give him authority. You give him access to things that he should never have access to. You're the controller of those things in your life. So we need to make sure that we understand that. Now, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Chronicles 21. We're gonna look at the life of David. So David, if you look at him, most people, if you haven't read all of Scripture, would say, well, David's pretty cool. Look at all the things he did. David and Goliath, you know, and all of the mighty works. He's looked at the guy that, you know, was the warrior king that took over and made things really great. And so people look at David and they're like, he's awesome, right? Love who David is. But here's the thing that you need to understand about David. You know what the other thing that marked his life? Pride. And when pride crept into David... Here's what you're going to see. Not only did it cause destruction in his own life, you know what else it did? It caused a ripple effect of destruction in the lives of other people. That's what you're going to learn about pride. When you're a prideful person and the fall comes, your fall doesn't just affect you. Your fall affects other people. In fact, you know what I want to, uh, we're not going to talk about this Is one of the stories, but do you remember, you know, um, in David's life, he should have been out on the battlefield, but he was like... I'm the king, I don't need to be out on the battlefield. And he found himself on top of a rooftop. And when he's up top of a rooftop, he looked over on another rooftop and guess who was on another rooftop? A naked woman. Well, what are most guys gonna do when they see a naked woman on the cross of another rooftop? Well, if they control their inputs, they're gonna be like, I I can't look. But if you're not controlling your inputs, you're like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And if you're prideful, you know what else you're gonna do? I want that, and I'm going to have it, right? Like, that's what you're going to do. I want that, and I'm the king. I can get whatever I want, so I'm going to do that. And So he ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. Ripple effect. He has a kid, right? Kills Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. Puts him back out on the front line. Like, terrible ripple effect of destruction because he was at a place where he didn't control what he was supposed to do. Where should he have been? Fighting a battle. What are you doing on a rooftop? Get in the game. When you're on a rooftop, and this is what I I want you to understand. Here's what you're going to see. You know when you're most vulnerable to Satan? And I think people miss this sometimes. Because you know when you're working your way up, you're like, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And then you get to the top, and you're like, look what I did. You know, too many times you're the most vulnerable when you're successful, not on the climb up. Because on the climb up, you're like, God, help me, God, help me. But once you get to the top, you're recognizing what you did. And then Satan's like, I got gotcha. you, right? Because you're now at this resting point. You see, David was on his way up. God, help me, and I'm going to slay a giant. God, help me, I'm going to create an army. God, help me, and I'm going to do these things. You know, and on his way up, it was all about God. But when he was on the top, it was all about him. And Satan knows that's a natural tendency of people. When you're successful in life, you're the most vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. And I think people miss that, right? When you're successful in life, it's the most times that you you lose your guard. So here's what he says. So we're gonna look at 1 Chronicles 21 and we're gonna look at uh, verses one through eight. So it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now, if you look at this, why would Satan waste his time on inciting somebody to go out and take a census? Why does a census matter, right? Is it the census that's a problem? No, See, here was the problem. Here's what we're going to see. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. You know what the problem was? The problem was he wanted him to go out there and count so he could come back and he could say, look at what I have built. Look what happened with my hands. Look at the things that I have done. I created this great army, right? And so he incited him to play into what is the natural tendency of all people when they get to the top. They take credit for everything they did, right? And he knew that if he went out and counted people, if he got you know, David to go out and count people, they would automatically, his natural tendency would be like, yeah, look at what I did. This many troops, did I really do that? Like this many people? Like how good am I that I did these things? Well, you know, like in David's case, we're really no different, right? Isn't there a lot of times we brag about our self-sufficiency? Look at what I have done. Look at what I have built. I don't need anymore. I have, you know, you've created these, these mantras of look at what I have done in my own life. Like pride creeps in and Satan wants to say to you, you're right. Look at what you've done. Look how good you are. Look at what you have built. And he keeps bringing, so he incites more people to come up to you and be like, you know what? Look how good you really are. You know, we don't have anybody in our life that will come up to and say, you suck, right? Like you have those people that will pat you on the back, but you don't have that. So that's why Satan, because David the king didn't have anybody could speak to them, he got into that wrong place in his life. Then he goes on and he said, but Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troop a hundred times over and may the Lord the king and all, um, may the Lord the king are they not all my Lord's subjects? So Joab was having a problem with this. Like, there's no reason to count them. Aren't we all servants of God? And he says, why does my Lord want to do this? Why should we bring guilt on Israel? Then the king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of fighting men to David. In all of Israel, there were one million 100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he did what? Important. Who did he punish? Not just David. You see that? So again, this idea of people that are prideful, you need to understand that when God sees Prideful people and he punishes, it's not just the person that's prideful, it's the people around them that are also affected. Right? So he says, Then David, after the punishment came, he says, Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away your guilt, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. So he gets this place where he recognizes that at the top he was vulnerable. And I think all of us need to learn that from the lesson of David. Okay? So we're going to move on and look at James, but don't move on without this idea. If you have something in your mind that thinks that Satan is here to bring you down and to to rip away everything in your life, it's a misconception. He's here to give you everything that you want because he knows when you're on the top, you're the most vulnerable right, to his attack. So why not give you everything? If your concept is messed up, why not give you everything you want? Why not make you successful? Because when you are successful and you're on the top, you're the most vulnerable and because you're going to fall into pride, right? So think through that. Learn from the lesson of David. Now, let's go to James. So James 4, 1 through 10. Here's the thing that James now puts it down and he says, okay, let's get to this place where you'll understand, because this is what I love about James. If you struggle with pride, let me tell you what's going to happen to you right? So if you want to know what, if pride is an issue in your life, James just flat out says, like, here's what you need to think through. So James 4, starting in verse 1, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from what? Desires that you battle from within. You know what James knew, and that he's trying to bring you aware, and there will always be a fleshly desire inside of you to think that you've done it all in your life when you become successful. There will be a fleshly desire inside of you to want more, a fleshly desire inside of you to be comfortable, to have all of these things. Like this is going to be a natural tendency inside of you. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, uh, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures your pleasures you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against god so he sets this up right here's what he sets up there's this idea Right there's this economy that God sets up inside of the lives of people that He says if you don't get this right you will always be at war with God you're on one side or the other okay so He's like if you don't understand the economy of the way that God works you're always going to be fighting against God right so the worship team is going to come back up we're going to finish this next week because we're not going to get all the way through it but here's what I want you to see here's the first thing that He says. There will be a difference of the way the world views success and the way that God views success, okay? Here's the way the world views success. We talked about it earlier. What you can accumulate, what you can do, and how much money you have, the world will look at you and say, you are successful, right? Here's the trap, right? Because we get over into this other world, success in Christianity was never based upon material things, right? Success was never built on material things. The world teaches you that it's all yours, right? Christianity or God's economy teaches none of it's yours. In fact, we fall into this trap. I think this is probably the problem with the church sometimes. Is people like you preach this message. Well, you need to give and you need to give 10%, and you know, which is good, right? Like you, you need to be a giving person. But do you realize sometimes what that teaches with people is, well, 10% of it's God and the rest of it's mine and I can do whatever I want. None of it's yours. None of your money. None of it belongs to you. Your house, your, your, your money, your savings account, your 401k, everything belongs to God. The teaching or the economy that God says. If you're a friend of God, do you know what you realize? Nothing belongs to you. You're only a steward of God's stuff for one reason. And what's that reason? Reach, teach, and send. Nothing belongs to you. Don't get too attached. You know what? The people that struggle most in the world get attached to worldly things and then when they lose it all, they don't know what to do. If it's not yours and when you lose it, you're like, who really gives a crap? It wouldn't mind anyway, right? Here's the other economy thing that goes wrong, the way you view people. You see, in the world's economy, people are viewed as objects, right? In the world's economy, people are viewed as, in fact, this happens inside of marriage relationships all the time, right? You look at your spouse as an object, husbands and wife as an object, and you're going to love them as long as they love you back. And if they don't love me, I'm not going to love them because they're not giving me object, exchange, right? It's an exchange. As long as I get what I want, you can get what you want. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to hold it until, right? Like, is that not not the way it works? I mean, this, it's object, it's exchange. We just look at them as somebody that's going to give me what I want. And when I don't get what I want, you know what they do? Because they're an object. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. I don't need them anymore. They were only an object to give me the pleasures that I wanted. And when you stop pleasuring me, giving me what I need, I'm out. And this isn't just in marriage, this is on all relationships. If you're not giving me what I need, if I don't get what I want, what do I need with you? Right, it's an exchange. If I come to a church, if I'm not getting what I want, I'm just gonna move on. You know what the scripture says in the economy of God? People are not objects. People were created in the image of God and they are children of God to be treated talked about, prayed for, and looked at as children of God, even when you want to, even when you don't like them, right? And your view of people needs to be based on children of God and not based upon what the world says that they're object. You see what James is trying to do? He's trying to flip the script, trying to help you think. If you're going to, if you're going to make it, if you're not going to be prideful people, you'll understand nothing belongs to you, If you don't want to be prideful people, you're going to understand that people are not objects inside of this world to be used for your bidding, but they're children of God. And you will understand this, what success really looks like on this earth. If you don't want to be prideful, read your Bible and understand your calling. It's pretty humbling. Right? You want to be humbled? Read scripture. You want to be humbled? Understand your mission on this earth gonna be humbled, wake up every day and understand this, to the best of my ability, I'm doing everything you can, God, but I know, I know, I fall short. It's humbling, right? When you understand your mission and you understand what God's calling you to do through scripture, it's humbling. So if we want to get away from prideful natures or prideful things, start just with this. It's nothing belongs to you and it all belongs to God, your only a steward on this earth while you're here of his things. That goes for your children, that goes for your husband, that goes for your wife, that goes for your house, that goes for your car, all of the only for a time. Right? And the people that God puts in your sphere of influence are children of God. Treat them that way. Talk to them. Pray for them that way. Don't see them as they are, but see them the way God wants them to be. Right? Like see them in that way and pray for them in that way. And be reminded every single day. Success is not defined by the way the world defines success. Success is defined by the way scripture says we will be successful on this earth. Don't forget it. It's a humble experience. So will you stand so I can pray for you? So before I pray for you, just real quick, be reminded of this. We're gonna keep going in James and because right what you see next is a therefore. So now that you know these things, they're like, this is what you should be doing. So maybe this week, as you're reading through James, you can go there because we'll just pick it up next week. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And uh, again, we're so thankful that we can come together here today and be reminded that Satan uses success and pride in our lives to, to tear us down. Lord, that we can be reminded though that he has no place, he has no authority and he has no right in our lives today. So we are gonna stop giving him permission. We're gonna start viewing things the way you've called us to view them so that pride doesn't creep in. Lord, we understand everything you've given us today is yours. We're just stewards on this earth for a short amount of time. Lord, we understand that the people that you've put in our life are your children made in your image Lord, we're praying that that image gets released inside of their lives. And Lord, I pray most of all, we will recognize that we're still here today for one reason and one reason only, to bring you glory by bringing people to know you and be more like you. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
1: of sinners Breaker of chains You say the word and the dead are raised Light of the world The rock of our faith You are the cornerstone that will never shake No one higher none more worthy of praise there's something about the name Jesus, Jesus, there's something about the name all honor, all glory, none other name is worthy, Jesus, Jesus, our good shepherd.
2: amazing that we get to spend this morning with each other. Just hearing how we have so much power inside these bodies that we can just um, take Satan by the neck and just ring him around a little bit. Amen. It's all through the blood of our Lord. So let's get hyped up here. Let's close out on a high note. God is ever faithful. He never changes. He never lets us down. Thank you, Lord. Here we go. Thomas Lager. Meus
0: As we're singing that song, one of the things that we need to remember, because some of you in this room today, you can sing that, but do you believe it? Because Satan has been telling you, God can't be trusted. That he might be faithful at times, but at this time in my life, he's not faithful. The thing that we need to remember is what is true. God is forever faithful, right? Forever faithful. In the dark times, in the, in the times in our high moments of our life, he is and will always be forever faithful. And if you live with that in your heart and in your mind, you'll never fall into those places where we give Satan a foothold and never allow him to come into those places, whether it's the low parts or the high parts of our life, if we remember that he is forever faithful and that he is leading us. So as we go out this week, let that be at the forefront of our minds. And again, let us be vessels to be used by God to further his kingdom. So thanks for being here with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.